When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Boomer, and Redcast Rob. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Redcast Rob. Hey, Redcasters. How's everybody doing out there? I just want to say welcome to our second edition of the Go Big Lunchcast. And we have a very special guest today, Brandon Vogel of Hale Varsity fame. Yeah, he's the managing editor of Hale Varsity. He's covered Nebraska athletics for the magazine and web since 2012. His sports writing has also been featured in Fox Sports, The Guardian, and CBS Sports. Welcome to the Redcast, Brandon. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, before we get a little deeper into the, the Husker talk that we will no doubt do, uh, Rob, uh, both Hale Varsity and Redcast, we are both part of the Herd App Media Network, and Redcasters can now get their hands on some of the great Hale Varsity content out there using a special promo code, correct? That is right. All you need to do is enter Redcast promo code in the uh, checkout when you are subscribing to Hale Varsity, and you will receive... A $10 discount on your first year of subscribing. And then you got to go and click on the merchandise and buy some Redcast merchandise or some Hale Varsity merchandise so you can uh, support the local media and us just at-home podcasters as much as possible. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got my Herd at shirt on, my official one here, so, you know. Toe on the company line right now. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing a Grateful Dead shirt because, well, I live in Colorado. Yeah. So <laughs> that. that'll, that'll score you points with Mike Babcock, Hale Varsity Husker historian extraordinaire, and right. uh, our editor. Um, huge, huge Grateful Dead fan. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've, been a, I've been a big fan since uh, probably the late 80s, early 90s when I was in high school growing up in the Bay Area. I had some friends whose parents worked for uh, Grateful Dead Productions, so it made going to shows really easy. So I miss Jerry, but John Mayer's fantastic. What can I say? You know? <laughs> well, Rob, is he lives in Greeley, Colorado, and and uh, Brandon, you're out in that area too. In fact, we have a Nebraska is the you know the largest small town in the country, and so we have a, a shared <laughs> connection. A good college friend of mine, Amy, she's your cousin from Hemming Ford, and I've been very it's been very clear it's Ford, not Ford. Um, and uh, she would always you know tell me about you know friends would say, hey, I'm going out to Western Nebraska, you know, we're going out to Kearney, and ju- would just drive her nuts because that's <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, speaking of that, coming from the Panhandle, being a, a Western Nebraska guy and growing up out there. Uh, maybe a good start here is what is it like to be a Husker fan growing up six hours away from Lincoln? And I think of like high school recruits right now, Nebraska recruiting in state, Scotts Bluff, everywhere to Omaha and everything in between. What's it like to be a kid growing up out that out there? And what does that mean to be a, a Nebraska fan, you know, coming from that part of the state? Yeah, it's, it's certainly different. Um, you know, because... I went to one Nebraska game as, as a kid, essentially my first game. So I was in high school. Freshman year was 94, senior year was 97, 98. So mm-hmm. as good as it gets in terms of Nebraska's on-field performance, 
but my, my parents, we went to, to one Nebraska game. It was 1987, Oklahoma, Nebraska. Uh, so not, not one that went to Huskers way, but a pretty mm-hmm. historical and meaningful game for your first one. But it's, it's six hours away. And, you know, because I grew up out there, like six hours now doesn't seem that far, but you're trekking down there with three kids or whatever it is. You got to find a place to stay, all of that. So like the just like get up early Saturday morning and pop down to Memorial stadium. Wasn't, wasn't an option. So I, I went to Nebraska football camp when I was in high school, but I went to football camps at like Colorado state and Wyoming mm-hmm. much more. Cause that, that was a lot closer for me. Like when we went, you know, to a city, it was more often Fort Collins or Denver than it ever was Lincoln or Omaha. So you get that far out there, um, you know, basically 45 minutes from South Dakota or 45 minutes from Wyoming. Uh, it, it felt a lot different than, than being in the Eastern half of the state. Mm-hmm. Where are you at, Brandon? Are you here in Colorado? No, no, no. I grew up in, in Hemingford. I actually, this is a weird story, but uh, I actually live in Chattanooga, Tennessee and oh. have for a while. So I work okay. remotely 90% of the time. During football season, I try to get back to Lincoln or Omaha pretty quickly or pretty often. And it's actually not too bad for road football game coverage because Chattanooga is as close to half the Big Ten as, as Lincoln ends up being. So road games are are kind of my jam at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. we like to do a little segment here. Uh, we, we call it You Tweeted It, our Tweets of the Week. And we have a couple <laughs> of viewers here. And I think this will tie nicely into maybe the first discussion we have. Uh, you had one from oh, – February 11th here and using a fresh set of 2022 power ratings and a little math, let's project some Husker point spreads and season win totals and really good article that you had there. I have it in front of me right now, but I guess as we start to look at this, this is based off the SP plus ratings and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you see it all over the place, but also there's things like Nebraska, you know, checking in at 11.7, meaning in you is projected to be 11.7 points better than the average college football team. And you, you address this in the article, but I think it's best for you to kind of go over this too. It's like, how can that three and nine team, you know, that, that, you know, didn't win more than 25% of the games. How did, how can it be 11.7 points better than the average team? Yeah. That's kind of the um, cold calculating piece of these, these power ratings. And there's a lot of them out there. I I like ones like SP plus FPI is this way. I mean, Sagarin's this way they're meant to you're you're meant to be able to do some math with those numbers which is Mm -hmm. you know take the ratings subtract one from the other and come up with basically a projected point spread and once you have a projected point spread you can go and figure out win probabilities based on historical modeling oh boring stuff um Mm -hmm. but for the simple answer is is sp plus and you know sp plus is one that tends to to value i think what nebraska does well particularly during the frost era more than some others um and i can talk about that if if you guys want to or not if you want to go that deep into it but uh it doesn't view them as a three-win team it looks Mm -hmm. at their you know how often they stayed on schedule that's a really key component of S&P plus or SP plus um, things like that explosive play rate, which is good uh, for the offense. Uh, it, well, it's good for the defense too, in terms of limiting those in 2021. And at the end of the day, you had a team that outscored their opponents on the year in one, three games. And it, yeah. it just that almost never happens. <laughs> um, and there's a litany of kind of ways you could look at that for Nebraska, but that's, that's essentially it. It, it looks at Nebraska as somewhere probably closer to a six or seven win team. 
uh, even though they only won three way, three actual games. And of course, that's all that matters at the end of the day. But in terms of offseason projections, that's where they're going to start out. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this at nauseum now on the, the Redcast over the last couple of months is the nine single-digit losses, the eight one-score losses, putting up 239 points in the Big Ten and giving up 239 points, but finishing one and eight during that time. To your point, we didn't win more than 25% of our games, yet we had a positive point differential. We're one of four teams in the college poll era since the 30s to, to do that. How historic was last season? And we brought up this graph, and this was a graph from CFB numbers and CFB data, where, and we've all seen it on social media by this point. Now, all the dots that we were just as likely to go 11-1 and one as we were 4-8 and eight last year, and we ended up 3-9. and nine. How historic, Brandon, was last season when you really think, when you throw all those numbers together in the analytics, and now you're trying to project the next season too, but how how historic was what we just went through, you know, in, in 2021? Pretty historic. And, you know, I saw that that graph and that, that write-up. It was really excellent. Um, and that probably explains it, you know. When you look at three and nine, and, and the likelihood piece of it was really key to me, where you could say that they were just as likely to win you know, 10 or 11 games. Um, and I, there was another chart in that write-up that kind of plotted them all on a vertical axis. And it's like, you know, you've got a vast, vast middle where all these teams just kind of fall naturally. And then here's Nebraska all the way at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to look at a thing called Pythagorean Win Theorem. And it's just a simple formula created by Bill James. Um, for baseball, but it just looks at that. It says, with this scoring differential, whether it's positive or negative, how what percentage of your game should you win? Nebraska ended up, so that one modeled Nebraska at seven and a half wins. And I have this going back to 2007. It's just something I look at every offseason for every college football team because it's really simple to do. And they are basically four and a half, pretty close to four and a half, wins below that projection. The next closest is 3.9, and that's over 1,600 individual college football seasons that I have just sitting in a spreadsheet. Um, Mm. Georgia Tech, I think, was that team in 2016, somewhere around that range. They won three games, modeled closer to a 7-1 team, uh, and then won, I think, nine games the next year. Not saying that's what's going to happen with Nebraska, but you get to the top end of that kind of view of things, or the bottom end, teams that were had a much higher win. I mean, Michigan State is, is a team in this category going into 2022 uh, mm. a team that won more than you would expect based on its point differential and things do tend to even out a little bit though it's never a guarantee that things are going to happen of course just for that reason well brennan i you're really pulling at my heartstrings there because i'm a big oakland a's fan so when you start talking bill james you know and and, <laughs> and you know you might as well just coin you know use the turn that they coined with Moneyball, but um, you know, that's where I like hearing those numbers because um, while the A's may not be winning World Series, they're consistently in the playoffs or consistently winning games based off of the model of all of that. So um, it's truly, a, a, I would say, a system that I believe in really well. Um, but I'm also convinced looking at the schedule, there's no reason why the Huskers can't go 15-0 and 0 this year and win a national <laughs> championship. So, um you know, I it, it's it's one of those funny things because last year I think that was probably my biggest frustration. It wasn't the losses; it was how they were losing them, and the fact that they were just so close. And it's like 
as a realistic like person trying to like step outside of it, not being a native Nebraskan, right? I'm looking at at this from like a perspective that maybe the other redcasters don't, where I'm thinking like, God, they're so close. I just want to stay positive, want to stay positive. And then, you know, they come in and, you know, they rip your heart out, whether it's, you know, a, a, a play that should have been called, turned into a uh, called dead, turned into a fumble, turning the game around to with a loss to Michigan, right? Or, or something along those lines where, you know, all you want to do is stay positive and, and know that they were right there. But it's like, it's harder to prove wins and losses in your mind, you know, of what could have happened as opposed to like what really did happen, if that makes sense. And, and, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from on this, you know, with these analytics, while I don't understand all the math and stuff like that, I'm like that weird gif where they're going. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but I'm curious, what, how do you, how do you like without the numbers, all that, just from like a, um, would it be a, a your objective point of view? Um, what, what do you think realistically they, they should be doing for 2022, 23 season? Yeah. I mean, I think so they have pretty clearly in my mind made improvements overall to the team as a whole each year and you know 2019 is kind of the weird one in there and then 2020 is just weird in general because it's kind of hard to know what to take from that year with any team but mm -hmm. in my view i think nebraska has gotten incrementally better um the question for me becomes is i view them as a team that's been better than their actual win-loss record all four years but that becomes a cumulative thing for me at least of okay that's that's great it's it's especially coming out of like a year one you're like oh you know they didn't they didn't get to bowl eligibility but they are actually better than this this four and eight record great things ahead you know it's just as those things pile up at what point do you have to stop and you know this is a question everybody has to kind of figure out for themselves stop and say well is there something kind of endemic here that is holding them back from turning like getting everything they've earned out of these games. Nebraska over the past four years is a team that has made gains. Like I think they're building the right way for the most part, but why hasn't it been reflected in the record yet? And that becomes really tough. And, and that's something that you are best not even attempting to, to quantify. You know, I kind of look at it as you, you have to look at kind of the culture and the approach. And these are things we know comparatively little about. Like we get a lot of access to, to Nebraska football but we don't see the majority of practices. What we do see of practices are, you know, pretty much staged and, and meant to, to be as less least illustrative as possible, which I get it. All coaches are paranoid and, you know, not, it doesn't help them at all. Um, so I understand that part of it, but you, you just have to wonder like I, consistently successful programs, I think are built on kind of doing things for the sake of doing them. And it's the thing I, that gives me pause with Nebraska right now um, is the pressure to win is here. It's really here now, like going into 2022. So how do you kind of flip that? You know, you can't make winning itself the goal. You kind of have to make being excellent at executing all of these tiny little things the goal, and the win should come with that. Mm -hmm. Well, you think about that we call them the tiny things or whether they're big or small at the end of the day, the things that have kind of killed us in the past. And so I, I counted up last year, 
we had, I believe it's 46 points that were scored to us in unconventional ways, ways not against our defense. So that defense that performed so well in the second half against Michigan State and all that, we still lose games. Well, why? Because we give up punt returns for touchdowns and kickoff returns and punts get blocked for touchdowns and a fumble return and interception return and and catching punts in an end zone, throwing it out of the end zone and getting an extra point blocked and return for two points. It adds up and you end up with nine single digit losses with eight one score losses. And that's how you do it, right? That's how all those data points that say you should go eight and four, nine and three, you end up going three and nine. Um, that stuff has to end. And I guess the the question that we have here is you can go back to, uh, to me, a dark period was October of last year where we didn't know what was going to happen. We knew things weren't going well. We're three and six, three and seven. But are we are we blowing this up? I mean, there's plenty of people out there and they'll still tell you they should blow it up. Right. That they you know, there's plenty of people that still have that that mentality. I always my personal mentality was we've done enough of that. We're the second biggest dead money school in the country since 2010. We didn't need to add to it. But but that didn't mean that changes didn't need to be happened. And we've had changes now. We've, we've got rid of four coaches. The special teams there is we have Bill Bush, who was a very successful coordinator here from 05 to 07 in that exact same role. Um, Mickey Joseph, you see those changes that have been made. Do you feel like these are, is there enough difference between a year ago, what we have now, are you starting to see it now that spring ball started? We're a week into it. Is there enough changes that, that give you confidence that you think that we can get over that proverbial hump? Yeah, I don't know if I can say I've seen it yet. It's still really early. I would say the, the Mark Whipple hire uh, struck me as a pretty, an interesting one because uh, it wasn't the conventional path that I think, you know, it wasn't a path that was going to kind of win you the most likes uh, when you tweeted out the news, like, mm -hmm. you know, Mark Whipple's a football lifer, you know, go before 2021, you know, unless you were closely following Pitt football, I'm guessing a lot of people didn't even know he was the offensive coordinator there. And then they, they had a great year and, you know, and, and Whipple has a, a, an impressive career. You talk about winning a, a national title at UMass. They done that. They did that as an 11 seed in, mm -hmm. in that, uh, you know, I, I would love to talk to him about college play, football playoff expansion because well, he's, he's a guy that's been there and won it as one of those double digit seeds. Um, but that one was one that struck me. It was like, okay, maybe there's like, you know, this isn't just change for the sake of change because you get somebody who's coached that much football and been in the NFL and been everywhere, the ACC. Um, he's not going to be afraid to challenge your current ideas. He's got the track record that says, hey, you should probably listen to me. That's why you hired me in the first place. But that experience also, I think, helps him realize what has been good about Nebraska. And a lot about Nebraska's offense in particular, I think, has been good. And defense definitely has been. I mean, defense, you can show a, a pretty solid rise from year one to year four. So the Whipple piece of it really encouraged me. I, I really liked listening to Mickey Joseph uh, last week during their, their opening availability. That was kind of everything you heard about Mickey and mm -hmm. his ability to build connections with recruits and players, current players was kind of there for me. So, and we'll, we'll see with the other two offensive hires, the special teams hire, I think is, is encouraging. And Nebraska mm -hmm. has been so below average there that I'm not somebody who naturally thought just uh, a special teams coordinator fixes this. And I don't know if it does, but it was pretty clear to me they needed somebody devoted to that as their first, as their primary objective. So mm -hmm. you add those things up and, and Nebraska as a team that 
again, comes out of last year. If, if this was, you know, state university, just some generic team with that profile, it's a team I would expect to, to be better in 2022. I think the changes on the coaching staff in particular have only made me feel like that's a little bit more the case. Hmm. So some of the some of the things that we've talked about on the Redcast before um, that I think you're kind of making a case for as well is that these hires weren't made as quick fixes either, right? Like a lot of these hires that they're making kind of make it seem evidence evident that they're not just looking at win now, right? They're looking at you know continuous winning. Um, guys like Whipple and Joseph aren't just going to show up on the Nebraska campus because they think like, oh, this is where I'm going to live my life for one single year. Right. I mean, they're they're adapting to the Nebraska culture, you know, on a daily basis. Um, you can see that as evidenced by Joseph's wife on Twitter. Right. Where she's talking about stuff and getting really involved. But my point is, is, too, is that and I'm wondering how much of like Whipple taking the job and you know, I've heard so many times that Frost is the smartest guy in the room, right? He he is. And, and, you know, the smartest guy in the room will always surround himself with people that are smarter than him, right? That's, that's just a basic philosophy in business and life and anything you do. And I'm wondering too, is how many of, of this was like, you know, you know, they brought in guys like Casey Thompson at quarterback, right? And then, and then they got Purdy. And those are two guys that were, I mean, when they're talking transfer portal quarterbacks, those were the guys, right? And we got both of them. And so when I look at it, it doesn't seem like they're just trying to plan everything for today. I mean, they're planning stuff for like, you know, to put it into regular person terms, we're planning for six months to, to a year down the road, right? Like we're, we're saving up for that vacation to the national championship is kind of like the way that I see that they're building it. And that's not my Kool-Aid talk, but that's kind of what it looks like they're trying to build. Um, and so I'm curious, like how much of that, you know, do you, do you hear any of those kind of rumbles in there? Cause we're calling this frost 2.0, right? This is season one. And, you know, what, what type of rumblings, things like that, do you hear like in the background about this sort of stuff? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a general um, kind of the general feeling right now around Nebraska is that, okay, when you made those changes uh, in November um, or yeah, November, uh, you come out and you say, well, this is going to allow me to take more of a CEO role. You know, you keep hearing CEO, CEO, CEO. And it's like, that's, mm -hmm. that's great. You know, that's kind of the thing you say when you decide to make a move like that. But the rumblings I hear is that that's happening. You know, there's <clears throat> Mark Whipple has taken control of kind of that offense piece of it. Not that, you know, he and Scott aren't trying to, to meld their two systems together, but he's just a guy who's like, I, I, I got this, like, let me help you. Um, so, so that piece of it's been good and it's allowed for us to kind of be out and be in places that he hasn't been typically in practice. So all of that part of it is, I think, as good as you would hope that could go so far at this early stage based on things that I'm hearing. Uh, and you know, there was when Nebraska, when we were still, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, is Nebraska going to have to make a coaching change? Is they going to, are they going to have to make it changes at the assistant level? I, I looked at that and I was like, man, are you going to be able to command kind of the interest those jobs should command when objectively you kind of have to look at this and say, well, they got to win now. Like, you know, Mickey Joseph kind of being that first hire out of the gate 
indicated to me that, okay, they must be doing pretty well with their mm -hmm. pitch to this and what they're hearing, not just from Frost, but probably from the athletic director down of there's some time here because Mickey Joseph, you know, LSU had a coaching change. Mm -hmm. He probably could have gone a lot of places. He's got like 78 players in the NFL, mm -hmm. it seems. And, you know, his, <laughs> his, his stock is high and he's demonstrated a recruiter. So he would have had a lot of options and to choose a place that, you know, would he have chosen Nebraska, even though it's his alma mater, if he thought this is like a, a one year or else deal. And I don't know if he would. So. Yeah. I think that is something that, you know, there's this narrative and I'll just call it a social media narrative for the time being, because that's where I see it. But it's this narrative that this is really a one and done make or break kind of season for Frost. And there's a part of me that's like, well, that's the case anyways, when you're making five, $4 million a year. Right. Um, I think that he had to put a plan together to stay. I don't think Trev was just going to keep him for the heck of it. It was, you have to have a plan. Right. And that plan Trev's there to support him, but Trev's doubled down on football. It's not just, here's the staff that you can hire. Then they go out and they get uh, Vinny Gupta, I believe, the, the recruiting guy. You know, I mean, they're 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 giving additional resources and spots. I mean, this is this is about long term success. Yeah, you need to win next year, but they should have won last year, right? I mean, we just went over those those kind of stats and that. So basically, essentially, when I'm looking at this, they're building something for the long term here. And you bring in Mickey, and I love a story where Mickey and uh, Bill Bush were in the locker room after winning the national championship at LSU, and there's you know, everyone smoking cigars and everything. But they talked about how cool this would be to do this in Lincoln, and like the, I mean, like that that is something that they even talked about at that point. And to your point there, Brandon, I don't think you just make you don't just come here if you feel like this is a, a you know a ship that's sinking. And I don't see any reason for people to think that. I don't see any reason. There's nothing that Trev has ever done in the position that he's in. I think he's doing a great job. He's never done anything to make me think, wow, we're trying to somehow figure out a way that Frost is out here in a year. I think he's giving them every, everything to succeed. And I think that we, for the, really, we have a great plan in place. And the, and the staff that they hired is, is meets that plan. I just, I love it. I love what we're doing. I'll show this stat here, the, the in-state recruiting that's going on. And this is something with Mickey Joseph being here in place too. Again, I mentioned it from, from west to east of the state, you know, from Scotts Bluff to, to Omaha, a kid from Pierce. You know, we're getting back into Lincoln. We're definitely hitting Omaha, an area of, that we, we uh, didn't hit as hard last year or get as many guys. And I'd love to talk with Greg Smith about some of this stuff too, I'm sure. But, you know, we're, we're already hitting into 2024, 2025, getting kids. That's the long-term play. And that's not going to win next season for you. But the way you win next season is you – on special teams, you stop kicking the ball and getting it blocked and you stop giving up the kickoff returns and punt returns. And hopefully that's what Bill Bush is here for, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, he's, he's got a proven track record and, you know, he has familiarity with the place. The anecdote you shared from the LSU locker room is, is a great one. You know, you can, I'm not somebody who kind of starts out with, with these coaches of, thinking, well, you got to find somebody who's been here and understands the culture. Like, I think that's a bonus if you can get mm -hmm. it, but Nebraska got it. And, and you know, and I, I think it's coming into play here with the dynamic between Alberts and Frost, because I, I agree with you. Um, I don't get the sense that the decision that was made, you know, to whatever degree there was a decision to be made about the head coaching position uh, at the end, towards the end of last year, like, I think Trev felt perfectly comfortable with, with what he did and same a little bit with, with basketball here, um, mm -hmm. which is, which has had an interesting immediate result. Um, so that, that in-state recruiting piece of it is, 
it remains big. You know, Nebraska, it gets talked about probably more than it should, but may still be undervalued in just, you know, we talk, everyone says it's, it's just too hard to recruit to Nebraska or it's hard. Yeah. You know, it depends on whether you're talking to somebody who is potentially a Nebraska fan and local or somebody national who's just like, oh yeah, you can't, you can't recruit to Nebraska. I mean, you can, mm. but the attrition piece becomes a, a bit bigger, I think there, because you do have to recruit so nationally and the level of play, the level of player coming out of the state of Nebraska, you know, over the past six, seven, eight years is increased dramatically in my opinion so nebraska if they can keep those guys they they add so many more benefits than an equivalent player who's from mississippi or tennessee yeah i've always said with nebraska analytics sometimes are tough with a a school in a state like nebraska where you're the winningest program by far over a 45-year period yet you are from the least populated p5 state during that time period right you would it would it doesn't equate it doesn't make sense um, we have talent in this state, and yet we've had coaching staffs in the past that didn't always value that talent, didn't go after it as much, and then sometimes you end up finding that talent going to opposing teams, and and that's never a good thing either. It's one of the reasons we love to continue to hit on these in-state recruits that we're going to – it's not that you're going to get every in-state recruit. You're going to lose a Gale Sayers. You're going to lose – there's guys yeah. that have left over the over the period of time. I don't want to rewrite history that way, but you go after them just every bit as hard. And that kid that's in Scott's Bluff, who's, you know, six foot five and 260, he can be just as good as the kid down in Louisiana who's six foot five and 260. And it doesn't mean you don't go after both. It just means that you yeah. don't necessarily treat one different. I, I really appreciate what I'm seeing out of this staff so far in that regard. Um, you'd mentioned, uh, I want to go back to the tweet here, and you'd mentioned since Frost or since Hoiberg and uh, Trev had their. Uh, discussion here you know look at the winds going up and i don't want to correlate things so much one to the next but trev just seems as an ad he just seems to have brought a calm over the program i as a fan right now i can sit here and say i feel really comfortable that we're not going to have just major blunders and disasters that in the middle of march there's not going to be some tweet coming out saying that we don't want to play oklahoma and it becomes a, a five hour for lack of better word i wish i had something better but shit show and we don't need that as, as a fan language. I know, I know. <laughs> but so, you know, let's talk Trev for a second here. Maybe, the, maybe it is the Trev effect. I think that Rob, you've mentioned that a number of times. I just, I feel so confident with his leadership here, but what have you seen out of him personally in your role when you've had chances to talk with him? What, you know, what do you see out of Trev that, that um, moving forward, Husker fans can, can expect, I guess, with the programs? Um, the, the biggest thing has been, and this, you know, was kind of the thing that struck me most from his initial press conference after he was hired, just the like sense of calm, the sense of, I, we're going to put a plan in place. And there's a lot that I'm probably, I probably, at that point, he didn't even know yet, like some of the problems he was probably going to encounter, like mm-hmm. everything that that plan needed to include. But I think he's got a pretty good grasp on it now. And and the biggest thing has just been, for me, he's displayed a sense of patience, which is hard to have as, uh, you know, your kind of run-of-the-mill or stereotypical athletic director. You know, we hear all the time, new guys come in, like, oh, the football coach, he's not my guy, and they're not doing that well, so I'm going to make a chance. That's obviously different uh, with with Alberts and Frost as both alums, but you mentioned it earlier. Just having that 
Nebraska has had a ton of change. And when you get into that cycle, and, and Nebraska's been there since Solich was was fired. Of mm-hmm. uh, like, well, we decide we need to make a change. Next guy comes in, we think that's the one that's going to work. It doesn't work. Uh, so four years later, you're out again. Um, and to get out, like Nebraska's tried that, and, and a lot mm-hmm. of schools have tried that, and it feels really random to me. It's it's really kind of a crapshoot. Georgia fired Mark Richt who's, you know, knocking on the door of conference titles seemingly every year, went to a save and protege and it worked out. But that's like one of the few that I can think of off the top of my head of like, that, that was when I watched the national championship game, I was like, wow, it was like, Georgia mm-hmm. did it. Like it worked exactly like you always hope it would. So at this point for me with Alberts, whether it be basketball or football, I'm kind of like, why not try the let's, let's wait. Like, let's, let's not just jump and let's slow down and see if we can together uh, come up with a way to do this. And I think that's the big thing too with Alberts is where needed, um, he can have a very active role and he has been very active Mm -hmm. in both men's basketball and football so far. Yeah. And, and, you know, that stability, I love that stability that he brings there. Because from the 45 years I mentioned when Nebraska by far led the country in wins, basically 62 to 2003 or those 42, 43 seasons, whatever it ended up being, um, we had three coaches. You know, even even a school like Iowa, and, you know, we, we don't like to say their name over here, but they've had two head coaches since 1979. And that leads to a level of stability that, that can come over that time period too. And that's something that, the firing every three, four, five seasons that tends to not, you're not going to, Alabama's not doing that at the head coaching spot, you know, and the, and the, the, the successful schools are not doing that time and time again. You try to build some stability there. And that's um, certainly what we're seeing. Rob, did you have something? Well, yeah. And I mean, I was even going to point out too, and, and people tend to forget this, but from like 2008 all the way up until gosh, I would even say Riley's second year, dare I say when they were nine and four, I mean, the Huskers had like the fourth most wins in NCAA football. It just always seemed like they couldn't get right over that hump, you know? And so, you know, when we brought Frost in, it felt like they were just right there, right? Like that that's what should have happened. And with everything that's gone on the last few years, the last four years kind of seemed like a whirlwind, really, right? So like everything is just kind of just, and even last year kind of felt like it should have been that season, right? And so... It makes me, it just makes me wonder, like, why not this year, right? Like, why why not this year? Because this is what was, like, this year to me, if it happens, is what should have realistically maybe happened two years ago, three years ago, before, you know, before, like, this whole pandemic hit and everything else and the weird scheduling and, you know, games being canceled and, um, you know, and, and I'm, I have a point here with Trev too, because Trev kind of feels like the kind of guy that he would just, you run into him, you, you're talking to him like out at dinner or something, you run into him, you don't know him. And you're just like, Hey, I would love to have this guy over for like, you know, my wife's best dish, right? Like yeah. to sit down and then only to find out that, Oh my God, this is my new boss. And this is like the type of person you work with. Cause I, I work in, in the newspaper industry. Right. And we got bought, two and a half years ago, actually two years ago, this week, we got bought out by a much larger company and I was getting ready to leave. Like I was just done. Like I was working every day. I was putting it in. I was just done. We got bought by this new company. I have the same job, but I have new bosses and I have a new support team around me. And all of a sudden, like now I'm having like my best years ever. 
right? And I kind of equate it to that. And I almost feel like, you know, that that's the most real life situation you could you could put in there. And so, you know, I just, it's nice to hear that you're seeing that kind of from the inside too, that like, that's sort of the attitude that a lot of people have. And it, you know, and it's nice to kind of put that out there into the, into the universe, especially for those Husker fans who are going to come back and listen to this show, you know? Yeah. I mean, the sense of unity, I, I mean, I think, I really think Trev came in and made this kind of priority number one of kind of building almost a team culture within the athletic department itself. And I don't know when or how uh, Nebraska lost that a little bit, but, you know, it certainly seems like Trev thought that they had. And and that's kind of the first thing. And, you know, to go to these, these two coaching decisions that he had to potentially make this year, like if, if I were somebody in his position, it would be hard for me to – say, well, that's not good enough. That's not working over there. I need to like blow that whole thing up when you know that in, in your view, kind of the culture you're trying to build maybe wasn't as strong as it needed to be. So I think, you know, it kind of puts everybody on the same timeline, talking football, basketball, athletic department mm-hmm. as a whole, where, you know, hey, we're kind of all in this together. We're going to be hyper focused on what we need to do to to build consistent success. Um, so it's kind of a unique time at, at Nebraska mm-hmm. in that regard. Well, let's finish up with with basketball, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. But I mean, the last week has been kind of crazy here. I think it's completely unexpected. I can speak for myself certainly in that. In that, you know, what happened about ten days ago? The announcement came out that uh, Trev was going to retain Fred, and that didn't that didn't shock me. In fact, really the discussions I was having with people I, I talked with, I'm like, we know how Trev handled the, the Scott Frost situation. I kind of envisioned something similar. He's going to give him every opportunity to, to, uh, to succeed. You have to come to me with a plan. He's not going to try to add 18 million to a, to the dead money pool already that we have out there. And, but you know, what can we do to get better? Right? Well, now that we've seen the last week and I'm going to just show the, the big 10 turning right now, we we've moved up to 13th. Uh, ahead of Minnesota in the final standings, we'll play Northwestern to start off on, on Wednesday night. And, you know, like I'm not trying to predict a five day run that's going to send us into the NCAA tournament, but Brandon, just seeing what you've seen here over the last week, first off, how surprised are you by it? And how far can this team go? Quite surprised. Um, and, <laughs> you know, at the time that Trev made the announcement, he did, I, I wasn't surprised either but things had gotten pretty bleak. Like, mm-hmm. you know, back in January, you're kind of like looking ahead to schedule and you're like, eh, how many conference wins are, are even here potentially for this Nebraska basketball team? And it just kind of kept, kept nose diving. And for me, it's been an example of, um, I, I think their, their play over these three games that they've won shows the weight of of what this is and you know it it indicates to me that there's still very much a program that's kind of in a young state because when you when you are trying to build and they've had a ton of roster turnover which hasn't hasn't helped in terms of building consistency Mm -hmm. um you sort of need a little bit to go right early on i think It, it helps you it helps expedite that process and they didn't have it and for whatever reason um you know just knowing that Hoiberg is going to be back. Um, a lot of guys are going to have decisions to make of what that means for them past this season. But it just felt like a little bit of a sigh of relief for everyone. And they've come out, and that's how they look like they've played. 
Um, I Nebraska prior to <laughs> prior to what unfolded yesterday evening, Sunday evening, uh, it looked like they're going to be matched up with Penn State. I actually like the matchup with Northwestern a little mm-hmm. bit better, even though you know Northwestern really took it to Nebraska that first time. So I, I, I think they got a great shot in, in that first one. And you go there and then you've got Iowa after that, which was, you know, this was the, this was a lot of big 10 games, but their two against the Hawkeyes was one where they were pretty good for about 30 minutes. Uh, and then Iowa pulled away over the last 10 or so. So you take your chances with that matchup too. So if they could get, if they could get one win in, in this big 10 tournament, you know, it would send, the program into the off season with just a, a little bit of momentum you get mm-hmm. two, uh, and I think you're, you're really rolling, but beating Wisconsin on the road is, is obviously no joke. And it wasn't the Wisconsin. Wisconsin had something to play for, obviously mm-hmm. an outright big 10 title that, that Nebraska pre- prevented them from getting. So the talent level has always been there for Nebraska. It's just been for whatever reason, it has coalesced um, and winning without, Either McGowan's, you know, for the second half of that game, effectively, was something I would have thought. There's no way, just not possible. Yeah. I, saw, I mean, yeah. how did yeah. you? How, how, were you were you screaming at your TV as much as I was about? I mean, <laughs> and I've never been so passionate about Nebraska basketball as I would say yesterday was peak passion for me watching that game mm-hmm. because it it literally felt like the refs were doing this on purpose. I mean, they were in the double bonus by the, by the 16 minute mark in the second half. Right. I mean, that's unheard of. I don't care. I don't care what level you're, you're playing, right? Like I don't care if it's peewees all the way up to the pros. You do not see teams getting into, I mean, you know, you don't see teams getting into that in at any level that quickly. And all of a sudden it felt like it, I mean, they teed up, they teed up verge for, for, falling down on the floor and looking at a ref as he was running by. He didn't say anything. He didn't hand motion. He didn't do anything. All he did was yell at himself on the floor, get up, turn and look at the ref and run down the floor. And they teed him up for that. Right. Like, I mean, have you, have you ever seen anything like that before? I, I mean, I don't think they're going to find us for talking about this here. And, you know, if, if they are, feel free to say so. And I apologize to the NCAA and the big 10, but I think we're safe. I, I haven't seen a technical like that before. And, you know, anytime you get into the bonus that early, it's it's a pretty good sign that this has been a uh, curiously officiated game, I guess would be the, the kind way to put it. I I, I just kind of shook my head most of the, the game yesterday. Um, I For better or for worse, uh, through having done this for a while now, I tend to watch these games with kind of like an accountant's energy, particularly football, because I'm like charting every play. Um, so I keep a pretty even keel, but yesterday had its moments where it, it shook my uh, – shook my steadiness i guess um because there were some there yeah there there were some there where you're just like what is happening well well you go ahead well the the reddit college football account they they said nebraska dead last in the big 10 overcomes a wild game rigged against them to pull off a close upset (laughs) over number one conference wisconsin wins a fortune changing for the huskers question mark it's not a it, bad way of looking at it. <laughs> it was um and, and so and, and I talked about this a little bit yesterday on our on our um you know post game recap our uh what, what rapid what, reaction rapid reaction thank you honky and I'm I'm getting up there in age and um you know I mentioned it too like when I was a kid 
you know, while Nebraska football was something that was always in my household with from family because my my grandfather's from Nebraska, you know, growing up in California, I didn't really have any local teams basketball to root for. Cal and Stanford, Stanford hadn't yet reached their peak, you know, coaching time and all that. And so I'm watching the 86 tournament uh, with Steve Kerr and, you know, the the Arizona Wildcats and Lute Olson coaching. So I've been a Arizona fan my you know for so long and it I felt that kind of passion for the Husker basketball team yesterday like watching them play and and like thinking like oh my god the whole world is just out to get these guys and and they're playing their hearts out and it's been I I'd have to say I watched every game this season and that was probably for me like the turning point to where I probably won't miss another game again for the foreseeable future. I mean, I, you know, and I'll be looking forward to Husker basketball without any like, you know, self-paved optimism that, that being part of the show brings, right? Like this is like something where now I'm going to be like following the recruiting, everything, because it really seems like, again, the confidence that they put into Hoiberg, then turn like the rest of these guys like okay this is going to be our coach next year like we better start doing something or we're not going to be playing we're they're going to replace us right it's and and it really felt like that i don't know if you got that feeling but that's kind of the way it's been the last three games right where it's like all of a sudden these guys realize okay this guy's going to be here next year so if we want to come back we better we better put in a little bit more extra effort because otherwise we won't be back yeah i think so you know it it for me it I had some concerns just, uh, I mean, it didn't look like Nebraska during when they had their really rough stretch and, you know, it won one big 10 game. Like, and in my view, it wasn't a team that defended hard all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that really <laughs> bugged me. There was a lot of kind of individual play. Like you could see, you know, Hoiberg's a, a big, like stats optimized basketball guy, you know? So you, you, you know, that, they they know where they want to get their shots. They know how they want to do it. They know the pace that they want to play with. And th- that's all backed by their, their basically philosophy to that. And it just was a team that couldn't consistently execute it. And then it was like a, a switch flipped, you know, and, mm-hmm. and who knows if why I think it, it made me stop and say, well, the only kind of new thing here was a known fate for the head coach. So what does that mean for, mm-hmm. for the team as a whole? And it indicates to me that maybe there were gains happening for Nebraska that were hard to see, like even much harder than football. We're, we're not talking, you know, one score losses every time out. Uh, basketball would seem to be like 30 minutes of pretty good basketball. And then inevitably, you know, a bigger, stronger Big Ten team would just kind of slowly distance themselves. So it's it's made me much more curious about the the future for Nebraska basketball. See if they if they actually have something here, or if it's just kind of a four or five game blip. I want. I wish we had one of those graph comparisons that Boomer likes to tweet out about, like where it shows like the scoring graph. You know, and it goes up, and then you can see like Nebraska <laughs> yeah. kind of fading off like <laughs> this. Off, yeah. But like lately, it's been like this. Like Nebraska's on top, and maybe they come together, but then Nebraska just ends right back up to the top. And I know everyone at home can see my hand motions. You know, especially when we make this <laughs> well, a podcast. I think that's part part of that is it's the stability, and we've talked about that earlier with football and the football program. Stability can matter, and I think that certainly has played some role there. And I agree too. I think the defense and the, just the toughness, there are times against Ohio state where, you know, we had that game controlled from the start to the end and we'd be up double digits. And then Ohio state would go on that five point run 
And you get this, there's a little bit in the pit of the stomach, like, okay, well, this is going to be where they get that run to get the lead, but it never happens. Verge or somebody would step up, make the big play. It's like, oh, it's back up to eight. And it was that toughness and you need toughness. And if you're going to be at the Cole center and you've got uh, their fan base shouting things, I have to mute the TV because of, and you know, you're in a tough spot. You need that toughness from the team and the team. It, I, I'm bought in. This is a team. When you think of apathy, I literally stopped watching them. I stopped paying attention when they were playing. And I never, if you asked me eight days ago, I never would have thought I'd be talking about this team the way I am right now, but I'm totally bought in. Like I'm, I'm bummed that if we don't win the next five games, I'm bummed that the season could end because all of a sudden these guys, it was fun to watch them. And they, they've, they've given so much here in these three games. So it's really enjoy the moment. I'm just going to try to enjoy every one of these games that they, they get to play in this week. Yeah. I mean, I think Hoiberg said something along the lines last night after the game of like, man, I wish we could just start over. And <laughs> I think that's, you know, a, a pretty, pretty good way of putting it because you've seen over these last three, like, you know, Verge can be a pretty good player, and, and mm-hmm. Bryce McGowan has has been a pretty good player. But seeing what Trey adds to that team, CJ Wilcher uh, has oh, been gosh, great, yeah. uh, and you know, <laughs> yeah, a, a do over would be good, but <laughs> that's gonna have to be in the cards. So now it's just uh, keep winning until uh, until you don't, because that'll be the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was like the biggest part about Verge for me yesterday before the game when when McGowan's was announced to be out because of his hand. I actually tweeted out kind of like as a positive, like a gif of of Verge, you know, just kind of shaking his head, saying "Let's go, let's go," right? And you know, he's the same player that he was the entire season yesterday, but it felt like the difference was is that he was himself on a team level as opposed to before. And when he got sat right, like during the season, they never really said the details on any of that. It felt like he was himself for himself a little bit when you yeah. watch him play. Right. And this, and the last like two or three games, even when he's not McGowan's, you know, even when he's, you know, when he, yesterday, when he, he, he took control of the game. All right. He had over, like he had a third of the points for the entire team or more than a third of the points for the entire team. But not only that, he was like the heart and soul of that team. And even when he had to sit for that eight minute stretch in that game, you know, you could see him on the bench. You know, I kept looking over on my TV, looking at the bench, trying to see what he was up. He was clapping. He was like, you know, let's go, let's go. And I mean, it was a different player, even though it was the same guy with the same game, you know, the last three games from him, than you've seen previous in the season. And again, you know, it's that, if it, it, it really does the whole culture thing, I keep, you know, we keep coming back to that, you know, but it really did feel like that. And it was so obvious just from that one thing. That's where I'm like, Oh my God, these, this team really could like, if I was any other team in this tournament right now, I would not want to face. Nebraska. No one wants to, no one wants to play them right now. I've seen that from, I've seen some Iowa fans on Twitter, even posting that like we, we would prefer not to play Nebraska right now. And, and look, we're on a, we're on a roll, but Hopefully that role can keep going. Yeah. And, and Northwestern has pretty much embarrassed us the last two times that we've seen them. So, I mean, it, you know what the hardest thing to do in sports is beat the same team three times in a row, right? Isn't that, 
you know, while, while they may say, okay, in football, that's it. But in a season like basketball or baseball or, or, you know, where you're seeing a team multiple times in a season, that's the hardest thing to do is to that's, beat. Hey, I've been saying in football, it's going to be really hard for Iowa to beat us eight straight times. <laughs> There's so many of these streaks. It's going to be so hard to do the next. Well, we're one, going so. 15 and 0 this, re- this year. <laughs> we're so going. we're going to be breaking a lot of streaks. Well, Brandon, I, at the start of this, I didn't know if we'd be doing a segment that I was going to add into our weekly show, or if this would be its own standalone show. This is <laughs> At 50 minutes, we've taken plenty of your time, and this is definitely its own standalone show. And for everyone that's been watching along live, thank you very much. But, uh, Brandon, we always give our, our guests the parting shot at the end, and I just want to give you a chance to to, to give us your, your final thoughts here. But, but Redcasters, go out there. Go to hellvarsity.com slash subscribe. Uh, use Red, Redcast at the uh, checkout. Uh, it's a great magazine, great web, everything, great coverage, and we use it for a lot of our stuff. So, Brandon, floor is yours. Thank you. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been following what you guys do for a while now. And um, it's really impressive the way you guys have been able to build a community. That's my view from somebody uh, on the outside, just like seeing a bunch of people that I have followed over the years for a bunch of different reasons, kind of like they often unite around you guys. Uh, and it, I can trace these things back to to you guys. So uh, kudos for me to you on on that. It's it's super cool, and I do for for Hale Varsity. I appreciate what you guys you know said about the magazine. We've been doing this since 2012. I don't take that for granted. You know the media landscape is tough. It is. It's 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 what it is. And then on top of that, <laughs> our kind of unique selling proposition is is a print product. But I I think it's a great print product. Uh, mm. I I and all of our staff do our best. We're super passionate about, about that piece of it. So I understand the, the kind of potential audience of people who just subscribe to magazines or will subscribe to magazines. Uh, it isn't a growth, a growth area mm-hmm. necessarily, but we're very fortunate and we have a passionate group of potential readers in Nebraska fans. So if you, if you haven't subscribed or you've subscribed in the past and it just kind of fell off, uh, I would just urge people to, to give us a, give us a shot, uh, check it out. You guys get, promo code earlier you can do so at a discount it it means a lot to a local locally owned nebraska independent magazine uh, mm. subscribers are kind of everything for us so hopefully that wasn't too much of a salesmanship and more <laughs> of a, I, hey, I, I work i work for a newspaper brandon i work for a newspaper <laughs> and we print a couple of magazines ourselves right i and and i yeah. feel you man and i have to tell you that it's amazing when you get out there how many people when they're reading your product you know, and, and they're actually looking at, especially local news, which Hill varsity is local news. It's just your local sports college team news. That's what it is. And I mean, I was super impressed. I, I, I literally, and, and I don't, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I got my first copy of it just like a month ago. And I was so impressed with it. I was just like, wow, this is awesome. I can, I can totally get behind this. It was such a difference once you're holding mm-hmm. it in your hand and you're looking at the articles and, and reading through them. So you guys are doing a great job over there and it's, it's educational, it's relevant, and and you know I love it. Yeah, the quality that honestly, the the quality of the print, the quality of the paper, the quality of the photos. I took a, a sports media class a couple weeks or a couple years ago on campus, and uh, Aaron Babcock was one of the guys that came in and spoke yeah. during it, and he talked about you know how he got started and how he started up uh, Hill Varsity and how important that was and passionate the quality and the visual element it is, and it just totally changes the game when you can see it like that. So. Redcasters, I mean, we're not just talking out of our rear. I mean, this is this is legit, and go out there and, and get yourselves a 
the Hill varsity, but Brandon, again, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have you on more here. We'd love to, you know, we, we'd like to partner with Hill varsity as much as we can with the herd at stuff. And we'd love to talk with Greg Smith on recruiting, talk with Aaron Sorensen. I, I did a Husker one-on-one a couple of years ago with Mike Babcock. That was a blast and just a great, great cast of, of characters over there. Great, a lot of talent over at Hill varsity. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I appreciate and, it, and stick around for a second after we uh, end the broadcast here. Cause we'd love to just, you know, give our thanks and stuff. So yeah, sure. So, Anyways, Redcasters, thank you so much for listening. And until the next time, that's another Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Here we are. A Hoda Media Production.